Good evening. Good evening. And good evening to those joining us uh, on YouTube. And tonight we are uh, continuing with uh, John chapter 7. And so let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, throughout this gospel, we have been learning who you truly are. That you are Redeemer, Savior, Mighty Son of God. And so we pray that you would impress that on us, that we have you as our Mighty Savior. We need to worry about nothing else. We hold on to you in good times and bad. We follow where you lead. We draw on your power, and we live our lives with you and empowered by you day by day. So move our hearts with this gospel. Amen. Okay, I was talking a little bit before about um, John chapter 6. Uh, with the feeding of the 5,000, and then the crowd follows Jesus around uh, looking for another free lunch. And then uh, something that we found earlier, back in chapter 3 with Nicodemus, in chapter 4 with the woman at the well, is that Jesus seems to, he seems to like to do this uses a parable or a metaphor and okay, and uh, confuses people and Jesus uses that confusion to keep the conversation going. He talks to Nicodemus about being born again and Nicodemus says, how can this be? Uh, he talks to the woman at the well about living water what is this living water? Whoever drinks this will never thirst again. Oh, I need some of that. And then the crowd, I am the bread of life. And oh, keep giving us this bread. And uh, that Jesus uses this. And uh, Nicodemus didn't get mad. And the woman at the well didn't get mad, but the crowd of 5,000 they get mad that they're not getting another free lunch. And so some turn away. Um, in chapter 7, uh, something we've been seeing in the chapters so far is uh, that Jesus is kind of zigzagging, uh, going... Uh, being in Jerusalem and then going back to the north and then coming back down and then going back to the north. Uh, and uh, John chapter 1, Jesus is somewhere near the Jordan. John chapter 2, he's at the wedding at Cana and then he's in Jerusalem. John chapter 4, he's on his way through Samaria. Uh, John chapter 5 uh, and 6 back in Galilee, and now John chapter 7. Uh, 
Jesus is back in Galilee. Uh, John chapter 6, he ends up uh, in Capernaum. Uh, so anyway, it seems like he's moving back and forth. Why do you think he might do that? People are pursuing him to kill him. Yeah, and that in the last, in chapter 6 and 7, I think chapter 5 is the first time we hear it, that they want to kill him. And so this is around the time of his second Passover. What does Jesus have to, to do for a whole another year yet? Uh, he's aiming at that third Passover. And so by continuing to move, Jesus is doing two things. He's maximizing his audience. Uh, making the best use of his time reaching people. And then he's pacing himself for the right time. So uh, that's, what we, that's what seems to be happening throughout the gospel. Jesus zigzagging, uh, going to the north, going back to the south. Uh, John chapter 7 uh, well, backing up, what's, what's our theme question for the Gospel of John? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And uh, we've had that answered before, but here chapter 7 is full of who is Jesus moments. Uh, Jesus talks very clearly about who he is. So, chapter 7. After this, Jesus moved around in Galilee. He did not want to travel to Judea because the Jews were trying to find a way to kill him. Now the Jewish festival of shelters was near. So his brothers said to him, You should leave here and go to Judea so your disciples there can also see the works you are doing. Indeed, no one acts in secret who wants to be known in public. If you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. So Jesus told them, The right time for me has not arrived yet. But any time is the right time for you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the festival. I am not going up to this festival yet, because the right time for me has not yet arrived. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, all after his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but in a private way. So, any thoughts? observations that you've got so far. Or anything odd? Yeah. Um, I'm seeing in that paragraph where his brothers are telling him that he needs to yeah. go out and be seen, that yeah. it's almost a temptation. Mm -hmm. That, um, and I thought of the Lord's Prayer. 
lead us not. Oh, and, and now that you bring that up, it, it reminds me of uh, Peter. Jesus says, we're going down to Jerusalem now, and I'm going to be handed over to my enemies and killed. And Peter calls Jesus aside and says, Lord, these things will never, get, will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Same thing. What do they want? Or what do they? What's their career plan for Jesus? The world. Yeah, the worldly thing, mm -hmm. or the, the things of men, as it is in the other gospels. Um, and think back to chapter six. Uh, now let's. Uh, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he retreats. Remember why he retreated? There it is. Jesus realized that they wanted to do what? Make him a king. And uh, if you watched the video, you heard me talk about the intertestamental period and uh, the Maccabees driving out the Greeks, this family of priests in Judea, in, uh, in, uh, but the Greeks, the Greek king had set up a statue of himself in the temple and uh, sacrificed a pig on the altar and it seemed like he was doing things just to tick the Jews off. And this family of priests, the Maccabees, uh, rebelled. And then just as Antiochus was going to attack, he died. And then they rededicated the temple. That's the origin of Hanukkah. But that was part of their memory, part of their national memory. Uh, of a revolutionaries who got, rose up and kicked out the Greeks and now they're under Roman rule. Uh, what are they hoping for? Something else like that. And a year from now, what's going to happen on Palm Sunday? That that's what many are thinking Palm Sunday Okay, back to chapter 7. Uh, so, yeah. Brothers. Who are they? His brothers. Uh, they are uh, named. Uh, one of them is named James. Now, these are real brothers, blood brothers, half brothers? Likely half brothers. Yeah, there was a tradition in the East, in the early church, that these are either uh, sons of Joseph from a previous marriage, or cousins, or whatever. And uh, a good principle of interpretation is you take the words at their simplest value. So, brothers, whether uh, from Joseph or Joseph and Mary makes no difference. Close relatives, 
And so, uh, so they, they have this idea, go down and get famous, and then what's that weird line right at the end? I thought it was weird. Um, yeah, verse 5. His brothers are saying, go down and get famous. And then verse 5 says, but his own brothers did not believe in it. It sounded like they believed something, right? Maybe they believed in revolution. But they didn't, they, they had, kind of like the crowd looking for a free lunch. They had their own, I suppose you could say it this way, they had their own Jesus that they invented. And that they were hoping Jesus was the same Jesus that they invented for themselves. Uh, whether it's the one who keeps giving them bread or go down to Jerusalem and get famous. If you want to get a following. And just like Jesus retreats when they want to make him king, what's he do here? He says, I'm not going to the feast yet. Um, and then we've got that line that reminds me of the wedding at Cana. My time has not yet come. He says it twice here. Even though he went short, shortly after they left, it was because he didn't want to go with them because to lead them on to what they were thinking. Yeah. Or that he comes into Jerusalem and then somebody with him shouts, Hey, here's Jesus. Everybody... Get a t you know, pay attention. Mm -hmm. We think he's going to do something, and Jesus didn't want that. He can do a few more tricks. Yeah. yeah. Um, I should probably talk about the Feast of Tabernacles a little bit, uh, or the Feast of Festival of Shelters, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, the Hebrew word is. Sukkot, uh, and there was actually a, a city in Israel called Sukkot. Uh, you mentioned going to the Mayo Clinic, and when I was in Winona, uh, and people had to go to the hospital, uh, if they had something major, they either went to La Crosse or they went to the Mayo Clinic, and I remember uh, driving into Rochester, and it was late September, early October, and there are these strange things in people's yards. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And so there are Jewish people in Rochester. And uh, so to this day, Jews still do this. Uh, they would, and what it is, they build, uh, build a hut in your backyard, and there are two things behind that. One is that 
uh, in the fall, Israel has several harvest times, but September, October would have been one of the many harvest times. And so it wasn't uncommon for farmers out in the field to build a little hut uh, to get some shade, take a break after your work, or maybe take a, take a siesta, take an afternoon nap, and then get back to work, and they'd build this little hut for some shade. Uh, and so the Feast of Tabernacles was a harvest festival that, and that people would do that to remember the farmers out in the field building a hut for shelter. And it was also a reminder of how Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness living in tents, living in temporary shelters. And uh, there were... Oh, there were even rules about how to build your little hut. Uh, that you could build it with branches, you could build it with anything you could find around the house. Uh, one wall could be leaning it, you know, could be the wall of an existing building and all of that. Uh, so it was kind of a combination of our Thanksgiving as a harvest festival. Uh, maybe a little bit of Fourth of July, remembering your origin as a nation, and then a little bit of camping out, uh, you know, living in a temporary shelter, roughing it when you don't really need to. So that was the Feast of Tabernacles. And just so for a little perspective on Jewish festivals, uh, this time of year, uh, Mid-September through mid to late October uh, had many festivals. Uh, there was the, uh, the Jewish New Year. Uh, and the Day of Atonement uh, would have been right before the Feast of Tabernacles. Kind of like for us, you got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas, you got New Year's. For the Jews, they had uh, uh, New Year and Day of Atonement and Feast of Tabernacles. So, and the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the uh, the pilgrimage feasts. So everybody's going to Jerusalem. Or Passover. Everybody's going to Jerusalem. Uh, so we got to verse 9. Okay, so then we're at verse 11. At the festival, the Jews kept looking for him. They asked, where is he? And there was a widespread whispering about him in the crowds. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, he deceives the people. Yet no one spoke openly about him for fear of the Jews. 
this remind you of anything? Remind me of something that I preached a um, month, month and a half ago. Remember Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say I am? And they had weird answers. Prophets of the past. John the Baptist. And uh, here you've got another... Uh, they're not really, yeah, a, a who is Jesus moment. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others saying, he deceives the people. And uh, people are divided about it. Uh, then, uh, verse 14. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how does this man know what is written without being instructed? Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but it comes from him who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether my teaching is from God or if I speak on my own. The one who speaks on his own is seeking his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him that is the one who is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law, yet none of you does what the law tells you? Why are you trying to kill me? Um, there's a phrase that repeats here that was in chapter 6. And see if you were listening when you were watching the video. Jesus says several times, I have come to do the will of him. him. Yeah, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. That repeats again and again. He's not here to do his own thing. Uh, and what does Jesus say? By contrast, in here in verses 16 to 19. Somebody who's, who does his own thing is doing what? Gaining honor for himself. Yeah, see, gaining honor for himself, seeking his own glory. And this is really reflecting on what uh, the rabbinic teaching of the time was like. That it, if you were a, a good rabbi, you would know what other rabbis to quote. Uh, and, uh, or you'd try to come up with something new. Uh, but mostly you'd come with the recommendation of other rabbis in a certain school, you would always quote these rabbis and people would know what to expect. Think of how the other Gospels describe Jesus' teaching. Sometimes they would say, what kind of people would say, what kind of teaching is this? Teaching with authority. Yeah. 
you're always quoting the other rabbis, what kind of authority is that? Not much. But Jesus is telling him, this is what uh, the will of him who sent me. Uh, Jesus often quotes the scriptures. It is written. And so, Jesus again says, I seek the glory of him who sent me. Uh, and I'm just, I'm looking at my notes here. In verses 16 and 17 and 18, uh, when Jesus talks about the will of him who sent me, Jesus up to this point has said that four times. In chapters 4 and 5 and 6, chapter 6, he says it twice. I've come to do the will of him who sent me. And I think it's kind of, it, it's interesting that when you have the crowd of 5,000 that wants another free lunch, some that want to make him a king, he talks about doing the will of him who sent me. And his relatives say, oh, go down there and get famous. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. Uh, verse 19. Uh, didn't Moses give you the law, yet none of you does what the law tells you? Why would that have been a shocker? Jesus is talking to Pharisees. They thought they were holier than thou. Yeah, and that, that their, their, and, uh, their reason for studying the scriptures was uh, to uh, find the minute parts of the law and to, and to be righteous by that. Uh, that's the famous passage. Uh, uh, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me. And uh, so the, the Pharisees were devoted to Moses. And what does Jesus tell them about them and Moses? Yeah, you really don't follow Moses because you're trying to kill me. Commandment number five. Uh, and... So, for some of Jesus' listeners, perhaps some of his most pious listeners, this would have been a shock. None of you follows Moses. Uh, verse 20. You have a demon, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Uh, Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you are all amazed. Consider this, because Moses has given you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. You circumcise a man even on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging by outward appearance. Instead, make a right judgment. Um, it's not clear 
what particular uh, thing he's talking about. Uh, before chapter 7, he was in Jerusalem and uh, healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. And then retreats to Gal. And then there's a controversy because he said, pick up your mat and go home. And uh, who told you to carry your mat on the Sabbath day? And uh, the man says, I don't know. This guy just came up to me and healed me. And then Jesus finds him later. And then the guy talks to the authorities about Jesus. And then Jesus retreats back to Galilee, and that's where we met him at the beginning of chapter 7. So that might be uh, the work that he was, is talking about. Um, I did one work, and you are all amazed. Um, something, and I talk about this in, in videos before too, is um, in, I think it's the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' disciples are walking along the side of the road and they grab heads of grain from the grain field and I remember my dad doing this with oats. getting the chaff off of the oats and seeing what the oats look like. But they would do that and would eat the grain. And then the Pharisees said, why, why are you, your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, even King David and his men ate the consecrated bread in the tabernacle. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gave the commandment, remember the Sabbath day, to give people a day of rest. Not so there is a regulation to be fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, that one who said, uh, you search the scriptures and mm -hmm. you think you have eternal life by them. Which we do have eternal life by uh -huh. the scriptures, but mm -hmm. is it that he said that to them because they were not searching the scriptures for the right reason or with the right thought or attitude? Or yeah, well, they searched the scriptures to find all, kind, all the rules that they were supposed to keep. And by them they thought they had eternal life by keeping all these rules. But, Jesus says, these same scriptures testify about me. Sometimes that's a little bit puzzling how that comes across. Yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah, if you read it as, in the Greek, it's the, the word for search. It can either be an imperative, search the scriptures, or it can be, anybody here take Latin? Oh, you had Latin. Okay. Uh, indicative. We, we would say just a, 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 a regular verb. Uh, you search the scriptures. So it can either be imperative search or you search. 
And so if you take it as you search, Jesus is telling them, this is what you do all the time, but you're missing the point. These scriptures talk about me. Uh, and how do we get on to that? Uh, oh, my teaching is not mine, but comes from him who sent me. Uh, not seeking his own glory. Oh, uh, we got there by talking about the Sabbath and the law of Moses. Okay. Moses appears again later. Uh, who's your accuser? Moses uh, is your accuser. Uh, so, uh, verse 25. Some of the people from Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they, they want to kill? Yet, yeah, look, he's speaking openly and they don't say a thing to him. Certainly the rulers have not concluded that he is the Christ, have they? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus called out as he was teaching in the temple's courts, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is real. You do not know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So they tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Uh, uh, again, just like when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? All kinds of weird ideas. And here... Some of them are close. Isn't this the Christ? Some of them are cl very close to understanding who Jesus is. And then they have other ideas. Uh, we know where he's from, though. When the Christ comes, nobody will know where he's from. Uh, where does that come from? They're just pulling stuff out of the air. Um, and... We'll have even more of this coming up. Um, so, verse 30, they tried to arrest him. No one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. We had that two other times, didn't we? His time had not yet come. My time is not yet. But many in the crowd believed in him and asked, when the Christ comes, he won't do more miraculous signs than this man, will he? Remember the two main things happening with a miracle. What was the first one? Yeah, helping somebody in need. Jesus sees a, a, a man who's paralyzed. Jesus restores it. What's the second? To show his power or to show who he really is. And verse 31, this shows... Uh, some were seeing it. Some were getting it. Uh, end of the wedding of Cana. Uh, Jesus thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Uh, so, many pointed to the miracles. And then verse 32. 
Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about him, so the chief priests and Pharisees sent guards to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I am going to be with you a little while longer. Then I am going away to the one who sent me. You will be looking for me and will not find me. Where I am going to be, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, what is, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He does not go, intend to go to the Jews scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What does he mean by saying, You are looking for me and will not find me, and where I am going to be, you cannot come? Here's a lesson in interpretation. Is Jesus speaking clearly? With, with, with hindsight that we know what's going to happen, is Jesus speaking clearly? Yes. Mostly he is. He says, we're, uh, I'm going to be with you a little while longer. He's not filling in every detail, though. But what he says is pretty clear. I'm going to be with you a little longer. Then I'm going away. Where I am going, you cannot come. And then his enemies start thinking way too hard. And they start reading between the lines of what he said, trying to figure out, uh, is he going to go and teach the Greeks? Where does that come? Later, he does send his disciples out to all nations, but he's not talking about that here. Then, remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well about living water, and then Jesus talking to the crowd about, I am the bread of life. And here you've got both in the next verses. Verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and called out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from deep within the person who believes in me. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet come, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So... Jesus is talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit, and he's also talking about the work that the gospel does. That you hear the word and promise of Jesus, and of course you need to hear it again, but you have the message in your heart. And it stays with you. You 
have the message in your heart, it continually feeds you. Like the spring of living water bubbling up inside a person. So he's talking both about the Holy Spirit and the work that the Word does in our hearts, too. Then, uh, we've got more confusion. Everybody's got their own idea. After hearing his Word, some of the people said, This is truly the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, surely the Christ does not come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Christ comes from David's descendants and from the little town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the people were divided because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Um, so some have an idea. Isn't this the Christ? Isn't this the prophet? Anybody remember the prophet? Uh, the Pharisees come to John the Baptist and they say, Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? Remember that was promised to him in the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. By... Give you a book and you can tell me the name, Deuteronomy. Um, it was the last prophet of the Old Testament, wasn't it? Well, the last prophet of the Old Testament would have been, uh, well, if you're going by the books of the Bible, Malachi. Mm -hmm. Malachi promised a, an, an Elijah, but uh, Moses in Deuteronomy. I remember some Christmas program as a child. And it was words of prophecy throughout the Old Testament. And uh, the passage from Deuteronomy, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. To him you must listen. And like many Old Testament prophecies, it applied in a way to Joshua who was going to follow Moses but it had a greater fulfillment in Jesus. And people were constantly waiting and looking and hoping for a prophet, the prophet. Uh, so this is truly the prophet. That's what's behind that, is that prophecy from Moses. Uh, so the crowd isn't completely clueless. They know something about Jesus. Uh, but uh, they know Jesus is from Galilee, but then for some reason they think the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee. The mention of Bethlehem is interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, and that some of them knew that's from Micah chapter 5. Uh, but you, Bethlehem, probably from the same Christmas program, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
Out of you will come he who will be shepherd of my people Israel. And so some people remembered that. Uh, and that uh, as we look at all four Gospels and as we look back, we can see, okay, Jesus from Galilee, Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus there from was Bethlehem. That, there was that story, can anything good come from Galilee? From, from, or from Nazareth. From Nazareth. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but they knew he was the carpenter's son. Yeah. And they and they and didn't they know that Joseph was from the line of David? I guess they couldn't. We're, we're not. We're not all like Dale, out. and we don't all have people's uh, family trees yeah. memorized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the thing isn't this the carpenter, or isn't this the carpenter's son? Uh, that wasn't really meant to be a compliment. Or can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, if you think of, of Israel, uh, Jerusalem, this is where everything's at. This is the capital. And where's Nazareth? Uh, way out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and Galilee, as, as a, a, a province or a territory, Galilee was sometimes called Galilee of the Gentiles. Way out there, so far out, there's a lot of other people mixed in. So that's where, can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, that's where that comes from. Uh, Nazareth was also a podunk city. Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, there was, oh, I just saw a video about it, and the name of the town escapes me right now, but there was oh, six, eight, ten miles from Nazareth, there was uh, some city that Herod was building up as a northern capital. And so Joseph as a carpenter, or uh, the word for carpenter can mean any kind of construction work. So he could have been a bricklayer too. Uh, any kind of a, a workman or craftsman. Uh, so, but the, the thought was uh, Nazareth would be a good place for a carpenter to live because he's only a few miles away from this huge construction project. So, a little true. Uh, but, uh, surely the Christ does not come from Galilee. Because uh, Jerusalem is where it's at. That's where everything is. Uh, some haven't remembered the prophecy of Micah. Verse 45, Then the guards came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? The guards answered, no one ever spoke the way this man does. What do they mean by that? Spoke with such authority. Spoke with authority. 
it, it seems that the people accuse him and then he just answers them in kind of a direct, matter-of-fact way. Uh, you claim to follow Moses, but none of you really follows Moses. Uh, sometimes he, he speaks a little mysteriously. Uh, as I read this, the voice in my head, I, I never quite hear Jesus shouting. He's kindly, uh, calmly talking to them. Uh, no one ever spoke the way this man does. So the Pharisees answered them, You have not been deceived too, have you? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is cursed. One of them, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus earlier, asked, Does our law condemn a man before we hear from him and find out what he's doing? You are not from Galilee too, are you? Search and you will see that a prophet does not come from Galilee. Then each of them went home. Uh, anybody here ever have to take a logic class? Oh, I had Eugene Kirst for logic class. And uh, <clears throat> logic, uh, well, if you watch Star Trek, Mr. Spock is always talking about logic. And it's, it can be like a mathematical, mathematical thing. If this, then that. Uh, with logic, there is something, there's something called logical fallacies. Uh, what it is, is unsound reasoning. And one of the logical fallacies is uh, something called an, an appeal to authority. So uh, none of the Pharisees believe in him, so why do you believe in him? Uh, that's a logical fallacy. It's, it's a weak argument. Uh, it, it's not really addressing the topic. And then Nicodemus says, does our law condemn somebody without hearing him? And then they snap at him and they say, are you from Galilee too? That's another logical fallacy which is called attack on the person or ad hominem attack. Uh, that, uh, Instead of addressing the issue, you attack the person. Oh, you must be a Galilean too. Uh, and uh, that they are, are stuck in their thought. Jesus is competition with us. We want to be the teachers of Israel. How can we get rid of it? And uh, well, look at these miracles that he's doing. Yeah, but no prophet ever comes from Galilee. Well, shouldn't we listen to him? Are you a Galilean too? This is something that's been growing in these chapters too. Is the concept and the display of hardening the heart. 
And we always think of that in connection with the king of Egypt at the time of Moses. And what, what hardening the heart is, it's unbelief, but it's a special kind of unbelief. Uh, you remember the old saying, seeing is believing? No, it isn't. Because sometimes people can see and resist anyway. So think of the king of Egypt. What did the king of Egypt see? He saw the devastation. Yeah, he saw ten plagues. Uh, he saw the, the Nile turn to blood, frogs, flies, gnats, uh, locusts. Uh, Oh, the, old, the King James was the moraine of beasts. I think there was some kind of a tumor. Uh, uh, yeah, locusts, hail, darkness, and finally the Passover. And then he decides to chase Moses, chase after Moses, and then what does he see? The Red Sea. Yeah, he, well, he, first he sees... The pillar of fire, and then he sees the Red Sea open up, and he tells his army to charge. Uh, okay, you see abundant proof of what you're being told, yet you fight against it anyway. And here, uh, Jesus is doing miracles. He even calls these. These are the testimony of the Father that I am doing these things. And they resist that. And then the crowd starts to say things like, oh, if when the Messiah comes, how could he do anything more than this man does? And they fight against him anyway. And then in John chapter 11, we have the raising of Lazarus. And then after that, uh, the Pharisees will say, We've got to stop him, because if he keeps doing stuff like this, everybody will believe in him. And it's like, listen to yourselves. Uh, so uh, we've got many themes that are repeating and coming, uh, that keep coming back. And the, I'm here to do the will of him who sent me. I'm here to do the will of him who sent me. And then you have this does any prophet come from Galilee? Uh, this resistance, this hardening of the heart again. So that's chapter 7. And in order to facilitate discussion and to draw your comments, you were a little livelier tonight than last week. <laughs> yeah. Um, in order to facilitate that, I did prepare a handout that has a lot of my own notes, and then I'll hand that to you on your way out. So that, what did he talk about? It'll be on the handout. But to encourage you to have your own questions and comments instead of having a sheet to look at. I give it out later. So, so that's John chapter 7. Uh,
Next week, we have John chapter 8, which is Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. And uh, that's a uh, very interesting and very important chapter, too. All right, let's close with prayer. Blessed Lord, you have caused Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, and so we pray that we might read and learn and take it to heart, that being strengthened and comforted by your holy word, we may be assured of the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.